In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, we open our hearts to you. Come into us. Be with us. Give us your love that fires our life. Father, watch over us. Protect each one of us this evening. We thank you for all the blessings that you've given us, for gathering us together. And Mary, we ask, as always, that you attend to us, that you pray for us, and bring us to your Son, Jesus. We make this prayer in his name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My brothers, if anyone among you should stray from the truth and someone bring him back, he should know that whoever brings back a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. That's the letter of James, chapter 5, verses 19 through 20. We're responsible for each other. Most of the struggles that I would say we face in life are relational and they stem from feeling a lack of belonging. So when we are struggling, suffering in some way, it usually can be tied to something relational and within that relationship, the feeling that we don't belong, that we're not connected, whether it's to our our spouse or to our child, to our our business, to our church, whatever it might be. People suffer from anger or loneliness or despair. They do not feel they are part of someone or they're not making a difference for something. They don't think they're meaningful. There's a lack of belonging. There's a crisis of belonging in our era. Someone who's married for over 40 years struggles because they don't feel like their spouse appreciates them. They don't feel that they belong. They feel alone, unloved, undesired. A middle-aged person looking to change careers does not feel like he's using his or her God-given talents to help the business or to make a difference in the world. A person doesn't feel like they belong to a team. A young Catholic coming of spiritual age doesn't necessarily feel that they belong to a parish or even to the church. The old structures of involvement do not appeal, and to start something new seems overwhelming. A teenager struggles with depression and anxiety as they don't fit in with a particular group of friends, and the appeal of social media doesn't satisfy them. They don't belong. Even a priest or a religious can feel a lack of belonging, not so much to the church or to the religious community, because we have a job to do in it, but we can feel distanced from God in prayer. We're working and doing the Lord's work, but we don't necessarily know what good that is doing and where we're going with it. It's as if we're journeying a desert road between destinations. We don't belong. But the reality is every one of us does belong. We belong to God. Fundamentally, we do not belong to a parish or to an archdiocese. We do not belong to a school or to a company, to an organization or to a political party, even to a family. We belong to God, to Jesus, our spouse, to the Father, God the Father, our Father. And we will always, regardless of our state of life 
we will always belong to God. And so the crisis of belonging is a crisis of feeling connected to God, being connected to God. And so the need for authentic personal prayer. The more we love God, the more we are with him, the more we recognize our desire to be with God and fulfill that desire by receiving God in prayer and in the sacraments, the more content we will feel with our state of life. We won't feel alone. Even if we're struggling and we're experiencing difficulties in our life, there won't be a crisis of belonging. We will always feel we are at home when we pray and when we're with God. And yet, as we alluded to with like a priest or a religious struggling to feel that they belong to God, even praying can be hard at times. And, and it can, because of dryness or a, a stale period of prayer, it can erode our sense of connection to God. You pray and you pray and you feel like you're just kind of going over the same material. You're not receiving any insights or unique consolations. It's just kind of flat, your prayer is. And so what we need in life, and this is what St. James is saying, why we're responsible for each other, we need a spiritual companion, a friend, a confidant, even a, a director, we would say, in the spiritual life. Revealing our heart to someone else, especially when our heart feels alone or tired, creates communion. When we reveal our heart to someone, we are united to that individual. But more importantly, we're united and primarily united to God. God uses our spiritual companion, our friend, our partner, as his instrument to unite us to the Lord. So the other person with whom we share can help us hear or see what we're not naturally hearing or seeing. A spiritual friend can can be an interpreter for us, showing us how God feels about us or telling us about God. They can be a source of grace for us as well, removing that obstacle in our hearts that is preventing the union with God. Think of the four men who carry their friend, the paralytic, on the stretcher, lowering him through the roof to Jesus for healing. The paralytic could not get to Jesus on his own. He needed to be carried by his four friends. These four friends, interestingly, in the gospel, if you read it closely, they already had a connection to Jesus. They already had a relationship with the Lord. They had been introduced to him. Jesus sees them, and what he says is, he he commends them for their faith. He specifically saw their faith And then he looks to the paralytic and he heals them. So these men already had faith in God. They had a relationship to God, each of them. And that relationship that they had with God brought them into the mission to help their friend, to be a companion to their friend, and to bring their friend to Jesus for healing. What do you think happened? Yesterday we read the wedding feast at Cana. What do you think happened to all that wine that Jesus made I don't think it was drunk. I mean, you're talking about over 100 gallons of wine, and the people had already been overserved as it was. So there's no way they drank, drank all that wine. So what do they do with it? Well, it's a question also when he multiplies the loaves and fishes, and there's 12 wicker baskets full for the 5,000, seven wicker baskets full for the 4,000. There's leftovers, leftover wine, leftover bread and fish. He gave it out. And it's the servants who saw Jesus produce the wine that I'm sure took that wine out 
to the wedding guests or the people that weren't necessarily invited to the party. And they gave them that wine. And they told the people about that wine, that that wine they're drinking, which was probably the best tasting wine anyone has ever drunk on the face of the earth, that that wine was miraculous wine produced by this God-man, Jesus of Nazareth. So they used that wine to evangelize. It was like their, their prop, if you will, in, in evangelizing. Same with the, the loaves and the fish that were multiplied. I'm sure those servants who were at the wedding feast of Cana, Jesus' first miracle, were in the crowd of 5,000 and 4,000 when Jesus did that miracle. And I'm sure knowing that they had used the excess wine for evangelization, they would probably use the bread and fish for evangelization as well. The point is that they experienced union with God through these miracles, and then they introduced others into that similar experience of union with God. And that's what we're called to do. So you see, the Lord draws each one of us deeply into his heart. And then it's from that place of union with God that he then sends us out to do his mission, to do his will. Drawing in and then sending out. Again, multiplication of loaves of fishes. You know it's a precursor to the Eucharist. It's a sign. It was a prototype for the Eucharist. Jesus provides bread for the hungry. The Eucharist is is his body to feed us. The Eucharist has this notion of divine intimacy, personal intimacy, but then ascending out, a sense of the mission. The traditional ending of the Mass was ita missa est, which meant go, go out, it's over, it is sent. And we kind of transliterated this to, you know, go, the Mass is ended, or go in peace, the Mass is ended. We, we receive Jesus, the Mass, and then we go out, we leave to, to bring Christ within us to others, to make companions, and companion companie with bread. That's where the origin, your brother and sister of bread with the Lord. So he draws you in and then sends you out, down and out, you could say. And so the more we fall in love with Jesus, the more we are purified by him and crafted more beautifully into his instruments. Jesus, you see, is always using us, but it's a, good, it's a good thing. It's a good way of being used. Because when Jesus sends us out in a mission to be a witness of his love to others, to talk to others about Jesus, or to just be an icon of someone who has faith, when we're sent out on the mission, our own relationship with Jesus is strengthened. Our own love goes to a deeper level. Because when, it's, when we're evangelizing and we're out in the world, that's challenging, that's hard, it's, it's awkward, it takes us out of our comfort zone. We have to rely on God. We have to trust in God. Any of you that have been through something difficult in your life, you can attest, you couldn't have got through it without God. And so when we evangelize, we have to rely on the Lord, and that deepens our love and our trust. So to belong. Little example of the saints, of friendship, belonging together, but then being sent out. The two great Jesuits, St. Ignatius Loyola and St. Francis Xavier. Ignatius Loyola, of course, the founder of the Society of Jesus. Francis Xavier and Ignatius Loyola, they were, they were best friends. They were, they were actually roommates, if you will, in college uh, in France. And 
same with uh, Peter, Peter Faber, both would become saints. Ignatius and Francis were, were tight, and they went to Rome together. They lived together. They got permission from the Pope to, to start this community together. They were close. They confided one another. They were friends in the Lord, as Ignatius would say. But Francis, if you know the story of Francis Xavier, he was called to leave, to go on the mission. And he was sent out east, to the far east. It was very painful for Ignatius Loyola, but he knew this was God's will. Francis had to go out east to, to evangelize, to baptize in, in China and India and even Japan. And when Francis left, he would never see Ignatius, his friend, again in this life. And it was very hard for Ignatius, but it deepened their bond, their trust in God, and they, they would see one another, enjoy one another's friendship in heaven. They belong to each other. Remember the Israelites? We were reading about it last week. They want to belong to, they want to belong to the, the group of nations. This is when they ask for a king. They don't feel like they are one of the other nations. All these other nations have a king. They have a definitive leader. The Israelites don't. They don't feel like they belong, and so they want a king. They go to Samuel, their prophet, to find them a king. And this is very hurtful for Samuel because Israel didn't need a king. They relied on God to provide them leaders. He provided Moses. He provided the judges. He provided Samuel. They didn't need a hereditary line to establish strength, but... God tells Samuel, it's not you they're rejecting, it's me. The Israelites want to belong to the nations, but really they want to belong to God. And that's why they ask for a king, because they're rejecting God. And so we need to tend to our relationship to God. This is something Ignatius Loyal was able to do. This is how he's able to let his friend go and how they were able to spread the good news to the ends of the earth and, and grow the Jesuit order by their trust in God, something the Israelites were not able to do. At the ascension, when Jesus is leaving, right before he leaves, the apostles ask Jesus, they say, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You see, the apostles, they want to continue remaining with Jesus. Jesus, It's like he's got one foot on earth and and the other in heaven. He's about to leave this earth forever. And they say, Lord, I thought you were going to stay and, and build this kingdom. You're going to be the king of Israel, and we're going to be your, your 12 princes. But Jesus says, no, that's not the case. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the world. And then we hear, this is in Acts of the Apostles, after Jesus then ascends to heaven, what the apostles do is they return to Jerusalem, they go back to that upper room, where they had been hiding. And we read in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, they devoted themselves with one accord to prayer, together with some women and Mary, the mother of Jesus. They devoted themselves one, one accord to prayer. So they turned to prayer, intimate relationship with God, Then shortly thereafter, they're going to get the Holy Spirit, and they're going to be sent out, and they're going to build the church and the mission. They didn't need necessarily Christ as a king in Jerusalem, a a political king. They needed him as king of their hearts, and they were converted, and they were sent out. And they built the church, and they helped others belong. And so the identity, or the antidote to our identity crisis, or the crisis of belonging we're facing in our society, 
in our church, it's not a program or a concrete solution. It's each of us individually strengthening our faith lives, our relationship with God, and then introducing others into that relationship. So we open our hearts up to God to draw us in, down into the depths of the abyss of our heart, and out into the world, into the hearts of others. Amen.